Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We're here on episode 261. Today, we're going to be talking with my friend, John Jantz, and we have a great conversation. Uh, I had to apologize to John at the beginning here because I had thought we had had him on the podcast in the past. Turns out we haven't. We did a virtual summit several years ago that John was a part of, so I just had it in my mind. I, I did an interview with John. It had to be for the podcast, and it wasn't which is a, uh, a, a massive uh, drop the ball on my part because John is a great guy, a phenomenal speaker, phenomenal author, and uh, we're going to be talking about a variety of different things today. We're going to be covering how he got into speaking, how speaking fits into his business today. He uses speaking largely for Legion for other parts of his business. Is really how he got started. I know a lot of you may be in a similar spot, so I think you're going to get a lot from that. We're also going to spend some time talking about how his speaking business has grown, how he's kept uh, relevancy and longevity in the speaking business. And then finally, we're going to be talking about his latest book, Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. And so uh, we do something we've never done on the show at the end with that book. So I think you're really going to enjoy that, but a lot to get to. Let me also remind you that at the time of this recording here, we are closing in on the release of uh, my new book. So we've been working on a book for the past uh, year and a half or so that you may have heard us talk about. The book will be out in February, February 18th, 2020. The book is called The Successful Speaker. We're going to walk through a five-step process for how to find and book speaking gigs. So you're going to be hearing more about that in the coming months, including some amazing offers for uh, pre-ordering the book. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But The Successful Speaker is going to be coming out soon. So uh, get ready for that. Let's get right into this conversation with John Chance. Enjoy. Hey, friends. Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, hanging out with my buddy, John Jance, who is the uh, author of Duct Tape Marketing, Referral Engine, and a variety of other books, including his latest book, Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, that we're going to be talking about in a bit. But uh, John is a very successful entrepreneur and speaker in his own right, and so excited to, uh, to have him. We were talking just ahead of this. I had just had in my head that we'd had you on the show. We've been interviewed for each other stuff. We had you on a virtual summit a couple of years ago, but we haven't actually had you on the Speaker Lab podcast. So uh, welcome, my friend. Glad to have you here. Well, thank you. So yeah, I've, I've been doing this for 30 years. So you know, in another 30 years, I'll be happy to come back. You're a, uh, a living legend. And so uh, yeah, hopefully it won't take 30 years. If you and I are both still doing this in 30 years, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. But so let's backtrack for a little bit. Again, we're going to talk about the book in a minute, but you've had a very successful career as a speaker. What were you doing pre-speaking life? Well, you know, I haven't done much but this, to tell you the truth. I mean, I right out of college, I had a job with an advertising agency. I did that for about five years and thought, you know, I, I got to do my own thing. So I just kind of leapt into it, started my own marketing consulting firm. I would say, you know, really about the time that, that people started placing content on online, you know, around mm -hmm. 2000, 
ish or so. I started writing about this this systematic approach to small business marketing that I started calling duct tape marketing and and frankly was working with local small businesses and I always saw speaking as a great way to generate leads. Yeah. So, you know, locally I started just going out to the community college, the networking group, you know, the breakfast leads club and I would just stand up and say here's the seven steps to small business marketing success talk. Yeah. And typically out of one of those, you know, I was not paid. Maybe I got a bad breakfast. Uh, that was uh, typically about it. You know, I found that two or three legitimate, legitimate leads would come up and say, hey, we need to talk. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's really how I saw speaking. It was only until, you know, I started getting a lot of content published online. I don't even think I had my first book out yet that I started getting requests from organizations to come. And, you know, lo and behold, they'd pay me to come there and, and pay me a couple thousand dollars, you know, to, to, to come give a talk. And that's really when I, I guess my professional speaking career started. So you have an agency, you're doing some speaking, you realize you're getting some, some leads from that for the agency. Was speaking your primary lead generation strategy for the agency side? It wasn't necessarily the primary one. It was just the best one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot of leads from other things. I, like we all, we all did 15, 20 years ago. I published articles in a magazine. You know, I did a lot of the, the things to, to try to build my expertise and get my name out there. But the leads that I got when I would go speak were, were always the strongest because they not only got to hear my message, a lot of times there was some inferred trust, you know, that, that hey, this person must know what they're talking about because they asked him to come speak to us. So you kind of move people along the journey faster. And then hopefully for 45 minutes, I said stuff that made sense. And so it was almost like a uh, group sales call, you know, right. if, if you did it right. And, and so they just, I would always get really solid leads from doing it. Now, and we both know a lot of colleagues who still do that to this day. And that's kind of the model of they have an agency yeah. Yeah. and either they started speaking and developed an agency out of that, or they had an agency and they started speaking for, for lead generation. Do you still do that today in your business for some of the backend stuff that you may offer? So I teach it a lot. So I have a network of uh, independent marketing consultants that kind of license our methodology and our approach. And it's the primary way they, many of them are solopreneur, local, you know, folks working with small local businesses. And it's one of the primary ways that I teach them to do it. In fact, we actually give them a presentation that uh, we know is very effective that I you know, did for years. Today, it is, it's interesting. I mean, I still look at it as it a significant revenue piece for us today, but it's also significant. It's, it, it sells books. It uh, you know, sells our programs. It, it, yeah. you know, some percentage of the folks that join my consulting network have heard me speak at social media marketing world or content marketing world or, you know, something of that nature. We today, my organization today doesn't necessarily do the same kind of consulting that we used to do, but it, it works as an effective lead generator, even though it's also a, a paid revenue source. So to go back whenever you are, you're doing speaking for lead generation, and then you mentioned you've got a couple of people who are asking you, hey, could you come speak at this thing? That may not necessarily be for lead generation, but it may just be, we want you to speak on, on marketing to this and we're going to pay you for it. You have a couple of those. I'm assuming a few of those are going well enough that you're like, is this a thing? I would love to do more of this. I have no idea where to go from here. How do you go from, I'm just doing this on the side for lead generation to, I, I want to go all in on this. I want to be a professional speaker. Well, I, I, there's probably better people that you could ask than me because it, it's always been a piece of the puzzle for us. I mean, I write, I consult, I train, 
I, you know, have products. And so, you know, there are definitely people, you and I both know people that that's their whole gig is they're all in and they're, I never joined the speakers bureau. I have lots of uh, content on my website that you can find about my talks and then, and, you know, ways to hire me. And, and so all of it's really been pretty direct, but you know, the shortest thing is write a best-selling book. (laughs) <laughs> you know, because I was doing a fair amount of speaking. Duct tape marketing came out. It was very successful. I quadrupled my fees and, you know, quadrupled the amount of asks. So I know that's kind of cavalier, but I mean, there's, there's no question that that is one way to go all in. Do you feel like that that would, would still work today? Meaning that just write a really, really good book. You promote it well. It does well to whatever, you know, that looks like. And that, that can really kickstart a speaking career. Do you feel like that that strategy could still play out today? I think it's more crowded. Yep. There's no question. And so there's a lot more competition. But I think it does happen uh, today. I, I, but I, I do think the key is you have to write a good book and you have to be a good speaker. Yeah. <laughs> because... You know, I think the people that really go all in, I mean, their book gets them invited, but the fact that they're a really great speaker gets them invited back, gets them referred, you know, every room I've ever spoken with, there's three or four people in the room that somehow are connected to an organization that could hire you. And so, you know, those two things go hand in hand. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. There are a lot of folks out there that have written amazing books that don't have great speaking careers because, yeah, the message is okay the delivery, not so much. Yeah. So what in your situation has allowed you to stay in the business for this long? Because you mentioned that you'd, you know, you'd been in yeah, the, the speaking yeah. industry for 30 plus years. There's plenty of amazing speakers out there that, that fizzled out for whatever reason. Yeah. And being a speaker, it can, be, it can be a grind. It can be lonely. It can be difficult. There, uh, you can go through the ebbs and flows of the economy. And there are certainly times where you come off stage and you're just like, why the heck am I doing this? Or times where you may go stretch without any bookings coming in and you think, well, I, I'm done. I don't know what happened, but I'm out. So what has allowed you to have the longevity that you've had? I think a couple things. First one is you see a lot of people that go all in on something. Oh, there's the new opportunity. I'm yeah. going to be the Pinterest guru, right. you know, and, and they, they put all their eggs in that basket and maybe it generates a little interest and then it's like, eh, on to the next thing. I think having a, a focus or positioning that solves a universal problem, a problem that will never go away, <laughs> you know, small yeah. business owners, you know, are having the life sucked out of them because they can't figure out marketing. You know, the digital marketing landscape is changing dramatically on them. So I think the fact that I address this idea of marketing as a system for small business is pretty much a universal problem that'll never go away. Then I think the second part is you have to remain relevant. So I wrote Duct Tape Marketing in 2007. A couple of things have changed since yeah. then. And so, you know, being able to to evolve around that universal message. I mean, that's the other key. I mean, there's a consistency of this universal message, an evolution of maybe the tactics or the platforms that you're able to to actually now apply to that universal message. You know, that's the real key. I mean, a lot of the people that I've seen that that kind of flared out, you know, were people that said, oh, here's some shiny new object over here. I can go be ahead of the curve on when it wasn't really something that, that, ultimately was going to have a universal long-term problem solving <laughs> approach. Right. So that message has largely stayed the same for you, but it sounds like you've had to make some, yeah. some pivots and adjustments and course corrections along the way because of you know, the right. market, what people are interested in, what demand is. So how have you kind of made sure that you stay ahead of those, the curve of, hey, the message stays the same, yeah. the delivery or what exactly were the specifics or the tactics may evolve and change. So how do you make sure that you're not today in 2019, as we record this, teaching, still teaching MySpace strategies or whatever it may be. So how do you make sure that you stay ahead of the curve on that? 
Well, fortunately, I never taught any MySpace. <laughs> I did have a MySpace page. So. <laughs> I was trying to think of something old school, and I didn't think MySpace fit, but it close enough. Well, you can get my new course on CD. <laughs> but, oh, floppy. <laughs> I feel like I have an advantage. One of my, however I found it, superpowers is I'm just really curious. I love all this stuff. I love how it changes. It, to me, it's not maddening or crazy that TikTok is now the new thing, you know, for yeah. this week. I just like exploring it and, and looking at it. And, and I think that that helps. I mean, because a lot, I mean, it's, it's rough when I go to a small business and I hate social media. It's like, well, you're not gonna be very good at, it. Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, which is okay. You know, we won't do it, you know, yeah. but I think that's, that, that helps. I mean, I like this and enjoy it. Um, but I think the other thing that has, I think in a way allowed me to stay relevant, at least to some, you know, percentage of an audience is that I don't tell them, here's the new thing you need to do it. <laughs> you know, when I'm coaching and teaching, it's here's the new thing. Here's actually how it could apply value to your existing clients. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or I mean, not don't jump on Twitter for what you see other people doing you know, on Twitter. Jump on Twitter because it could actually help you do X, Y and Z. And, and I think that, that there's a lot of people that, that kind of look to me for that practical you know, element of a lot of the new things as, as we evolve. That's theoretically the whole metaphor behind duct tape, you know, is just that kind of practical nature of it. And so building a brand, you know, that does have some consistency of message, but also consistency of delivery, I think allows you to plug in what is the next thing. You know, as opposed to having to pivot and say, oh, we're not focused on this market anymore. We have to go over here. Yeah. One of the things that you touched on earlier is that speaking is just kind of one hat that you wear. You do consulting, you do training, you are an author, you are, you know, a husband, a father, a grandfather, you have your, your hands in a lot of different things. So I'm curious, especially on the business side, how has that evolved over time? Because uh, I think there's a lot of people who are listening who are like, I want to do all of those things. You know, yeah. I want to have a podcast and I want to have a book and I want to have a course and I want to be a, a coach. And I, I want to do all those things. One of the things we always tell them is like, you can do all the things, you just can't do them all at once. And so how have you kind of added those different rungs to the ladder over time? Well, I think there are two approaches. You already mentioned one, go all in on something. Yeah. Our mutual friend, Scott Stratton, I think all he does is speak and he writes yeah. books and things, but you know, he, he doesn't have a course. He doesn't have a, you know, a lot of things, but he is all in on speaking. Yeah. And so I think that is a very viable approach. Quite frankly, a lot of people have made a lot of money doing that approach. The other approach is my approach was I want to build a brand that stands for, you know, marketing is a system for small business. And so as I've added things, in a lot of ways, they support each other. Now, you, you can also make the case that sometimes they dilute each other, but I think yeah. they support each other. And, and that's the real key. So, you know, I started, uh, I created my, my first thing that I created actually was a course, an online course. I mean, I was doing consulting, but I created an online course. I then created a podcast, which, you know, the course and the blogging turned into a book. The book really accelerated speaking. The speaking and the book and the products, you know, created uh, the opportunity to transfer this knowledge to a network of consultants. So all of these things support each other in a lot of ways. And I think that's, you know, the real key. I don't do my podcast. I mean, my podcast now uh, generates what would be seen as, as, as a significant revenue stream just in sponsorship. 
but I started it because it gave me access to people that I wanted to talk to that could yeah. help me you know, further my brand. And I've always looked at it as a piece of the puzzle and not as I'm going to start a podcast so I can get a bunch of sponsors and a bunch of listeners. And I think that's the mistake a lot of people make is they, I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do that because they all look kind of cool and sexy but they haven't thought through what's the strategy to where these things all support each other. Because I think that's how you ultimately build sort of this almost, you know, completely defensible yeah, <laughs> ecosystem. Know, ecosystem. We get 12 to 15,000 visits a day to the duct tape marketing website and blog because of, well, first off, we've been doing it forever, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, that's really defensible. That's an asset. You know, that's a building, <laughs> you know, for me. Every decision I made about how to do something new was not, oh, this is a new thing. It's like, how would this fit in the puzzle? One of the other books that you're known for is The, the Referral Engine. And so can you give us some, some insights yeah. for speakers, especially uh, the referrals are one of the, the best leads in any type of business, but especially for speakers. So for speakers who are wanting to increase the number of referrals that they're getting for gigs that they're doing, yeah. any strategies or tips you've had, you'd have for us there? The first step is you have to be referable. You know, that part I can't help you with. Yeah. You, you have to have a message that really resonates. You have to master your craft. You have to be so good that somebody's like, yeah, hire Grant. <laughs> you know, don't, I'm not even going to think about it. That's not just your delivery. I mean, when you start getting into the speaker world, you realize that's also how you show up, how you respond, how you make it easy for the, the meeting planners. I mean, that's not just when you're on the stage. It's, it's all the stuff, you know, before and, and after. Right. But, but, but I think the other piece, and, and you, you've seen this, I mean, the speakers that get a lot of referrals, guess what they do? They refer a lot of other people as yeah. well. I mean, it, it, it is a comes around, goes around, you know, type of thing, especially in that kind of somewhat small universe, because I've received referrals from speakers before that, you know, they did a great job at their event and the speaker, you know, organizer was like, hey, loved you, Grant, but you know, we need somebody new next year. So there are a lot of opportunities. So who are they thinking about? Well, they're probably thinking about the people that have reached out and helped them. And I don't mean in a, you know, tip for tack kind of way. It's just, yeah, this, this person, you know, gets it. This person gets, you know, the idea of referring. So, you know, if there's an opportunity, if you have an opportunity because a gig's not right for you, it's, they don't have any, any money, you know, to pay, but it's still an opportunity for somebody else you know, make sure that you're, you're looking for ways to, uh, to spread the, the love. So you said one of the main ideas there is just being referable. And so I think we can, we understand that whenever it comes to like other context, you know, if you are thinking about your favorite restaurant, you know, you, you go to that restaurant, not because of the name of the restaurant, not because of the font that's used on the menu, but you go there because the food is, is amazing. The atmosphere is amazing. And there's all these, these elements that go into it that, that you can point to and say, ah, I know why I like that. Sometimes it's like that expression, it's hard to read the label from inside the jar. It's hard to, to look at your own business and say, am I referable? Is yeah. my speech referable? Is my speaking business referable? So is there anything that, that how do we objectively look at that and determine if the message, the talk, the delivery, the performance, all the elements that go into it is something ultimately that, that is referable or not? Yeah. A lot of times the audience will tell you if you, <laughs> if you pay attention. Well, that's one of the first judges, not always, but that can be one of the first judges. Event organizers are not always the greatest, in my opinion. You know, my view, a lot of times, you know, they, you know, they want everything to go smoothly and they've got, they're, they're juggling a lot of balls. So, I mean, if you don't, if you're not getting asked back, you know, yeah. to some events that can uh, sometimes be a, an indicator. But I also think that Wherever you are today, if you want to go to the next level, if you want to go all in, 
you probably need help. You probably need training, you know, courses, practice um, to really get it done. And I know, Grant, you do a, a program. You are correct. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, that type of thing is a great way for you to benefit from not, not only somebody else's expertise who, you know, hopefully, and again, you know, check them out. Hopefully they know what they're talking about because it's easy to sell a course today. So find people that, uh, that know what they're talking about, but just any kind of objective feedback. I, I remember the first time I did a talk years ago and uh, it's when everybody just started videoing, you know, that's actually, believe it or not, been a, it's gotten a lot easier. So it's been a fairly recent phenomenon that, yeah. that all your talks get videoed. I remember the first time watching, I was like, holy crap, do I really do all that crap on stage? <laughs> I'm jingling my keys, you know, I'm walking around, I'm going like that, you know, just yeah, stuff yeah. That, that I had no idea I was doing. And I think a lot of us, you know, benefit from, uh, you know, that feedback that, that you can get from, from people that, that do a lot of this kind of training. Interesting. Let's uh, transition and talk a little bit about your, your latest book, Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, which is out in bookstores now. It's a new type of book for you. So can you kind of give us the, uh, the big picture overarching idea behind yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So this is my sixth book and, my, and, and there's no question, my first five books were squarely on some aspect of marketing. And I think it was a blend of, I've been doing this a long time. I've written a lot of books on marketing. There was a side of me that said, do I, does anybody need to near, hear from me on how to do marketing <laughs> you know, anymore? I want to do something different. This is um, an idea that I've been kicking around for a number of years, and I finally kind of put together the right connection. So what I did is I wrote a book. So the subtitle is 366 Daily Meditations to Feed Your Soul and Grow Your Business. So every day you have a new reading. My idea behind this is that I think being a self-reliant entrepreneur means that you're essentially committing to the fact that your life is a work in progress. Yeah. And so we all have these stacks of books. If I showed my camera over there, I'd show you about 10 on the corner of my desk that you know, we mean to get to. The idea behind the, a daily kind of thing is it takes you two minutes to read a day. Hopefully, maybe it's in your morning routine. It just gives you a little bit of thought for the day. It helps mm -hmm. you kind of carry yourself with something that's a little more inspirational. It doesn't take much time. Now, I anchored all of it in, I took a, I mined a vein or curated a vein of mid-19th century literature a lot of it you see, you know, entrepreneurs talking about like Walden and, and self-reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson. But that vein of literature, to me, is still some of the best self-reliant or, or entrepreneurial, you know, writing that exists today. Because it, if you think about what was going on that, that era, you know, we were on the cusp of the Civil War. Women were trying to get the right to vote. We were trying to abolish slavery. It was kind of the first countercultural period in America and a lot of the writing that came out of that was, hey, you need to trust yourself. You need to believe in yourself. You need to make decisions, you know, for yourself and not listen to your preacher or the government or, you know, whoever. Yeah. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, that's, you know, the real key. We need to trust ourselves enough to know that, that you know, we've got this, you know, yeah. that there's enough in us that the idea that we have isn't crazy, even if people are telling us it is. And so every day you get a little reading from from hundreds of, our, of, of authors in that time frame, and then buyer beware. The rest is kind of my opinion, my uh, sort of experience about what I think that that reading means and how to apply it. And then I leave you every day with what I call a challenge question. And people are telling me that have read this, they think that's one of the most significant parts to kind of have a deep question to ponder and maybe even journal about, uh, you know, for, for that, that period during the day or the beginning of the day or take with you, you know, throughout the day is just something we need to do as a practice. So this isn't a book you're going to read, you know, cover to cover. It's almost a, the, the hope is it's a book that you return to every day and kind of practice and work on yourself. 
Beautiful. I like it. One thing we could do um, is uh, maybe put you on the spot and have you read a, a chapter or a day of it, since it sounds like yeah. it's just on a daily basis. Let's come back to that. I got a couple of questions for you as it relates right. to the book. One is something we touched on earlier. Everything you've done thus far in your career has largely been around marketing for small businesses. You mentioned this is kind of a step in a different direction. Even as you're thinking about this a couple of years ago of like, hey, here's this thing I'm, I'm really kind of itching to do. I don't, it doesn't, it may fit under the current umbrella. It may not. I'm not really sure. How are people going to perceive it? How are people going to think differently yeah. of me? Are they going to put me in a different bucket than the bucket I'm yeah. currently in? all the pros and cons that may go along with that in the same way that, hey, I've always been known for speaking on this topic and now I want to speak on that topic and the fear and doubts and insecurities that may come along with that for any speaker. So yeah. can you kind of talk us through kind of how mentally you wrestle yeah. with that to arrive at, no, I want to, I want to do this and this makes sense because of, of this. Does it make sense? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> but here was my thing. This is something I felt like I had to write. You know, and, and did I consciously say, what's this going to mean for the brand? Is this going to take me in another direction? Will people believe this? You know, those are certainly things I wrestled with. Fortunately, it's not as far off brand, I suppose, as, as one might kind of think initially. I've worked with small business, tens of thousands of small businesses now in some capacity. And this idea of working on, you know, making a better you <laughs> makes a better business yeah. is something that I think I've actually had my hands on. Because, you, you know, it is a small business. Everything is marketing, <laughs> you know, everything yeah. that you touch. And I think that in a lot of ways, I've expanded the idea of, of, of marketing probably for the small business to, to include a lot of things that we don't, maybe don't typically think of. And so this book really gets into every area. There's nothing in this book that you would look, I mean, there are things in this book that would make you a better marketer maybe, but there's no how to in this book. It's really more kind of the why to. And I think a lot of people are, are hungry. I mean, you and I have read hundreds of books of how to do stuff. And I think that increasingly people are looking for you know, this mindset shift, this, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing? What impact am I having on the world with what it is that I'm doing? And, and so I wanted to write a book that, that kind of address those things. Being an entrepreneur, and again, you, you've done this longer than I have, but uh, been at it for a little while myself. And I, I know that uh, being an entrepreneur can be very lonely and discouraging and isolating. And there's days where you feel like you're on top of the world and days where you're just, you're questioning everything. And it is just, it is not for the faint of heart. So one of the things I've learned is just really developing some of that reliance, that grit and the, the, I don't know, stick with itness of knowing that, that, yeah, that it's when it's good, it's really good. When it's bad, it sucks really, really bad. And that's part of what you're, you're signing up for. So the book help with that of just kind of the, the mental battle that you deal with on a daily basis of Monday, I feel on top of the world. And Tuesday, I feel like I want to just cash it all in and go find a, a real job. Is that something that's going to help an entrepreneur kind of uh, yeah. who's wrestling and dealing with that? Yeah. I, you know, the, fortunately for me, I'm a lot more introverted than one might know or one might like most speakers. I don't know if you found this to be the case. Most speakers I've interacted with are the same yeah. where they are. It's not necessarily they're one person on stage, one person off stage, but we enjoy being in front of people, but it's also, it's, it's very tiring. It's very exhausting. And so have zero problem, you know, sitting in an office or sitting at home or being in an airport or a hotel room or whatever by myself, not interacting with anybody. Like I, I love that. So I, I think that's, I don't think that that's un, yeah. un, un, uncommon at all. And I don't think it is for entrepreneurs in general. You know, a lot of times, you know, we have our idea, we have our thing and we want to make it happen. You know, and yeah. a lot of times that, that suggests somebody who's okay with their own thoughts, <laughs> but 
One of the key markers to success, and I've, I've kind of broken this book up. I believe that there are stages that we go through, you know, in the entrepreneurial journey and not like from beginning to death <laughs> kind of thing, but just, you know, steps that we take in stages. And one of them is, is really when we get to the point where, hey, we've got this idea, we trust ourselves enough, we found our purpose, you know, and then failure starts showing up and <laughs> we start going, wait a minute, it's not kind of working like I had figured it was going to, or how do I make this happen? Or the market's changed, now what do I do? I think one of the, the, the key markers, in fact, it's not just me, there's tons of research that one of the key markers of success is resilience. And so this book is a lot about kind of reframing what failure is here to teach you. You know, the people that are very resilient kind of look at something that didn't work out. And it's like, oh, it's not I'm wrong. It's this thing went wrong, <laughs> you know, as opposed to. And, and I think that that ability to reframe and learn is a theme that, that comes throughout the book. And I will tell you the other piece that kind of gets married with resilience is congruence. So the ability to reframe things and change but still stay true to who we are. Mm -hmm. Our actions are still aligned with you know, what we say. <laughs> Those are the folks that I th think uh, that, that really find the ability to overcome and, and ultimately achieve success on their own terms. And, and so there's a lot uh, in this book, particularly in the August, September, October months about those themes. Yeah, I tell uh, when, when entrepreneurs ask, you know, hey, how are you? How's business? What's going on? And I would say half joking, half serious, like we're making it up as we go, like everybody else, like we're all doing the best we can with what we have at that moment. And it's gonna, I heard the analogy one time, it's like driving a car at night, you know, you can only see as far as the headlights will show, but you can drive hundreds, if not thousands of miles that way. And so, you know, most entrepreneurs have zero clue what the next, you know, we have a rough idea of maybe what the next week or a couple of weeks or 30 days looks like, but we don't know a year from now, five years, 10 yeah. years from now, what life will be like, you know, personally or professionally or how the market could change or any number of variables and factors that go into it. We're just, we're figuring it out. So having that intuition and just trusting yourself can really keep you grounded and keep you moving forward as an entrepreneur. So, all right, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. You got a, a, a chapter you can read for us? Well, fortunately, it won't be a chapter. It'll be a page. A page. All right. <laughs> I've never, we've never done this before, so I'm, I'm, I, I want to hear this. I've, I've never had a book that I could do a reading. I'm envisioning myself standing up in, you know, the tattered cover, you know, <laughs> reading at the, at the podium. So, never had a book I could do that. This so. is our virtual Barnes & Noble book club. <laughs> All right. So, this is, I pulled up, uh, this is one that was sitting on my desk, September 2nd is the date uh, for this one. So, if you uh, have the book, uh, you'll be able to page to September 2nd and read along with me. Right. So everyone has a title, then, a, then uh, the literature, and then my riffing, and then a challenge question. So I'll go through those four of them. So today's is called Congruence. No person for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the truth. Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, The Scarlet Letter, 1850. Quite often, the very thing that leads many to strike out on their own is an attempt to bring their business and personal lives in alignment. The corporate culture they had entered and adopted no longer feels congruent with their personal goals. Congruence by definition implies sameness, agreement, harmony, or compatibility, all concepts made wholly real by following an entrepreneurial vision. So it's terribly ironic then that when the amazing fresh opportunity afforded the entrepreneur is coupled with the day-to-day -day pressure to build a business, people are easily pushed further and faster out of congruence than when they started. Remember playing crack the whip at the ice skating rink as a kid? It kind of feels like that. This looks like working more hours than is healthy or necessary, promoting products and services you don't use or believe in, asking others to do things you're unwilling to do or worse, 
wearing one face to yourself and another to your team, your employees, and your loved ones. In geometry, when stating that two triangles are congruent, you might use a statement that looks very complex. In your entrepreneurial quest, it's even more complex. So your challenge question for today, how is your life a reflection of the gift you need to bring to others and how is it not? Beautiful. Very well said. Very well written. And so each day is one of those. Is one of those. Yeah, they, they, it is loosely organized around themes. There are seasons um, that, uh, that I talked about and then every month has uh, its own uh, theme. It's, it's not overt, but it's sort of, uh, it was actually a way to help me organize the book if you want to know the truth. Great. Very cool. Well, uh, John, thanks for the time, man. We really appreciate it. If people want to find out more about you and check out the book, again, the book is called Self-Reliant Entrepreneur, is out everywhere. Books are sold, I would assume. Uh, and so if we want to check that out, in addition to uh, just your blog, your podcast, your work, where, where can we go? So if you can spell this, selfreliententrepreneur.com <laughs> um, will take you to actually a lot more information about the book. Uh, obviously, the links to buy it are there as well. But uh, you can also find uh, pretty much anything about what I've been doing for the last three decades at ducttapemarketing.com. So that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. I've always wondered as a complete side note, is duct tape a trademark term? No. So it is a generic like electrical tape. Okay. Uh, but it, uh, there is a brand that, that, that is trademarked, but is, it's Duck, D-U-C-K, is really the only closest thing to it. But other, yeah, I get that. I've been asked that question, as you might imagine, numerous yeah. times over the years. But uh, no, it's a, it's a generic uh, product. Very cool. John, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with John Jantz. Again, his latest book is Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. Definitely would encourage you to pick that up and check out anything that John has his hands on through duct tape marketing uh, and his other books and products. So make sure you, uh, you check that out. Hey, again, like I mentioned, the successful speaker will be out soon. So make sure that you stay on the lookout for that. We're going to be sending you some more info and details about that. Uh, you can keep up with that here on the podcast or also through the website, thespeakerlab.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friends. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.